1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited to debut this new series. Everybody's talking about cars, self-driving, and autonomous, and what's going on. This is the place to be on Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern. So let me get started. The future of cars. What exactly is the future? You didn't expect me to say that. Well, the future is defined as the time or period of time... Following the moment of speaking or writing, the time regarded is still to come. So as soon as I end a sentence, it's what comes after that, okay? If you believe a gypsy can tell your future, well I'm not so sure that's the way it's gonna work. So we hope you will tune in and find out everything you want to know on our upcoming series, the brand new series. We'll have ten episodes spread out over many, many months the future of cars with game changers. So let's get started. The buzz today, need a ride? Ha! Okay. We've been fed the breadcrumbs of connected cars for years. Think about it. You've heard about this. First came the car radio way back in the day. Big innovation. Wow. Then we moved on more recently to ABS braking. Yeah, we need that sometimes. Electric steering, lane departure warning, collision avoidance, backup cameras, and more and more and more. Guess what? We all know these features are in virtually all new vehicles today. So it's kind of a, so what? What have you done for me lately? Well, now we're poised on the verge of plunging into a world of autonomous, self-driving vehicles. What does that mean? They'll be connected. They'll be coordinated. They'll be shared. Here's the big word coming. They'll be driverless, and they'll be tailored to purpose. But what's holding up the what's holding up this big uh, avant garde of what's happening with self-driving cars and autonomous cars? Well, we need one thing. We need an Uber brain that will control all these pieces, all these sensors, all these elements. When that day comes. What will your ride look like? It's a lot to chew on. And we have a panel of three wonderful experts to help break the news on what's happening with the automotive field and autonomous cars. I'm delighted to welcome our first guest. He is Larry Stoley. He is a Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. But most important, he is the brainchild behind this new series. Larry is the sponsor. And Larry has sent me a wonderful quote from Dan Ammon. That's A-M-M-A-N-N. If you're wondering who he is... Well, he was named President of General Motors in January 2014, and he has quite an interesting history, but I'll let you look up Dan Ammon. Here's the quote. The car industry is going to change more in the next five years than it has in the last 50. Larry Stoley, I am so excited to welcome you to your series. How are you, Larry?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you, Bonnie.
2: This is exciting, Larry. We have so much to talk about. So tell me, for the first quote on the first show of the first day of your new series, you picked a quote from Dan Ammon. Tell me why this is so important.
3: Well, it's interesting to me. It's intriguing to me for two reasons. The first reason is it's absolutely correct. Industry will change. I'll come back to that. But what's interesting also is that, you know, Dan is a little bit naive in this thing. The industry hasn't changed much in 100 years. I've been in the industry for almost the 50 years that Dan talks about. certainly hasn't changed there. And if you go back to the beginning, it really hasn't changed a lot. There have been some oscillations, yes, but not a whole lot of change. Dan is absolutely correct. We're on the cusp of more change than we've ever seen. We're on the cusp of auto industries changing from capital consumers to capital generators and providing services rather than products. So Dan is absolutely correct.
2: Okay, well, we have a lot more to hear from you. Larry, are you excited about this series? I want to hear some excitement from you. Oh,
3: absolutely. I mean, we're going to talk about things like connected vehicles, autonomous vehicles. They're on the you know forefront of everyone's mind here. But the whole notion of connected, of Internet of Things, of smart cities, of smart plants, of smart manufacturing and supply chains, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, we've got a series here we're going to talk about those things, and we're going to explore the ups and downs and sideways and all the possibilities that this wonderful new world of connectivity enables. It's kind of wonderful. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's what, Larry Stoley, that's what I was looking for. I wanted to hear that wow from you, and it is a wow. By the way, uh, our listeners who recognize Larry's name and his voice may recall that he's been a guest several times on our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, and that's where we cooked up the idea. There's so much to talk about. Why just use it as a topic when we can have a whole series on it? Larry, we're very excited, and congratulations on the new series, and let me introduce your next panelist, our next guest is Heather Ashton. She's a research manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. And Heather has sent me a very interesting quote from what somebody else at General Motors? It's Mary Barra. Full name Mary Teresa Barra. B A R R A. She's the chief executive officer and chairman of the General Motors Company. And what's so important to me about Mary Barra, and probably to Heather, is that she is the first female CEO of a major global automaker. And not only that, Barra started working for GM when she was 18 as a co-op student back in 1980. In April of la- uh, two years ago. 2014, is it that long ago, Mary Barra was featured on the cover of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. So here's the quote from Mary Barra. My definition of innovative is providing value to the customer, and she certainly knows. Heather Ashton, welcome to the Future of Cars. How are you?
4: Very well, Bonnie, and thank you so much for having me. I really look forward to a great discussion today. Absolutely. Um, So tell me how you picked this quote from Mary Barra. So perfect. Yes, and you you brought up a couple of the points um, as to why, and I really do like what Mary has done. Um, She really is setting a new sort of um, level of accountability in the industry, which I appreciate given everything that's been happening lately with recalls and um, whatnot. So, um, And as far as the quote goes, I picked it because it really hones in on a critical inflection point for the automotive industry in the face of this explosion of technological advances we've seen in the past several years you have to consider what the customer wants. It it doesn't matter if the technology is mind-blowing or leaps and bounds beyond where we are today. The customer has to believe the technology is valuable to them, that it provides something they need or want. Um, So you know, automakers really have to listen to what the customer wants and drive innovation from that perspective rather than delivering what a group of really smart engineers think is the next big thing. (laughs) So that's one of the main reasons. (laughs)
2: Interesting, Heather. And that reminds me of a quote, I think it's from Steve Jobs, something about the customer does or the public or the consumer doesn't really know what they want until we tell them what they want. And that was the philosophy behind Apple. It was, they don't know what the future is, we're going to create it and tell them how much they need it. So this is different. But do, we, do people really know what they want? How do they know in terms of a car? There's so many possibilities. Do you think the customer really, really knows what they want right now, Heather?
4: I don't think they know everything, so I do think it's important, obviously, for the industry to kind of present to them the opportunities or the possibilities, but I think the customers know what they're willing to pay for, and I think that's a big part of this, um, is, right, because we're all in business, and so, you know, the automakers need to understand kind of where that balance lies. They're not going to be able to charge extra for ABS at this point, right, automatic braking systems. That's yep. become an expected feature, so some of these other technologies, they're going to have to figure that out as well, you know, how that, how that works. Thank you very much. Somebody's got a phone
2: call coming in. Okay, we're going to quiet that. Heather, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for the great quote. And on so many levels, it's perfect having Mary Barra represented on this quote, on the show. So thank you very much. And now let me welcome our third panelist. He's no stranger to Game Changers Radio. Whenever we talk about cars, he just seems to show up. Speaking of GM, it's AutoShell, Global SAP Business Architect and SAP CCOE Lead at General Motors. So we have a full GM representation here, Otto on the panel and a quote from Mary Barra and a quote from Dan Ammon. And here's the quote Otto sent me for this show. He says, quoting Henry Ross Perot, by the way, most of you just skip the Henry and know this gentleman as Ross Perot. uh, Born in 1930, American businessman, he made an independent presidential run at the U.S. presidency in 1992 and Reform party presidential candidate in 1996. He just wouldn't go away. He found Electronic Data Systems, EDS, in 62. He sold it to General Motors, there we go again, in 1984, and founded Perot Systems in 1988, which Dell bought for $3.9 billion in 2009. In case you're wondering, Perot is valued at, oh, just a small $4.1 billion last year, and ranked by Forbes as the 129th richest person in the U.S. So, of course, we listen when Ross Perot speaks. And here's the quote If you see a snake, just kill it. Don't appoint a committee on snakes, Otto Schell. I can't stop laughing at this quote. It's great. How are you, Otto? Happy New Year.
5: I'm doing very well, and Happy New Year to you and to the listeners.
2: Thank you. Tell me about this quote from Ross Perot, and you're with GM, and, and he sold EDS to GM. It's like this is, uh, Larry, I think this is the GM show here. I'm not sure. But must go- be. It must be. So how did you pick this quote? Fascinating.
5: Yeah, I picked this quote just uh, not to to look into one car manufacturer. I think what we are driving now is a entire change of our business. Yeah, so um, not creating a committee on something is to me not creating a committee on a hardware which is called car. There are so much changes coming up which uh, we can drive. But uh, you know that uh, from from previous discussions, I look this always different. Yeah, so if. If not only we, but also others can uh, support getting cities much smarter, yeah? then we will get sometimes to a connected and driverless car. If we don't work together in this, uh, in this environment, we will have only one shop and, and, and not a common change. And this reflects to me this quote. Yeah? Uh, this means we talk about the snake which is behind us in, instead of talking about the big picture of what's going on.
2: Mm, interesting. What is that big picture, Otto? Can you give us a little peek at that big picture? What What is behind the scenes?
5: I think when we talk in general about um, cars, you see all over the place uh, a lot of things talking about digitalization, connected car. When you reflect, newspapers two years ago, it was about five hundred horsepower here, five hundred horsepower there—the the great big things. So the entire communication around about cars has changed to what, what does it mean in a digitalized world. Now, you can do all your best, to my point of view, to, to create a, a great car which is connected, but as long as you make not sure that the infrastructure around this car, is it a delivery station for gas, is it a delivery station for battery, is it a connected car which, which you can reflect and which you can use the sensors for, for driving it, if you don't think about the entire picture a car as such does not really make the change. And I think this is the big momentum in the overall industry that everybody thinks, where can I go into markets which I didn't had before to support my vision, to support my idea? And this is completely changed. As, as Larry quoted in the beginning, yes, we are able since, not only we, but everybody able to produce a car since more than 100 years Uh, The question is, will we be able also to produce mobility in the way we want it?
2: Thank you very much, Otto. Pleasure to have you back. Always good to hear your insights and your point of view because you know what you're talking about. Thank you. Larry Stoley, I'm going to circle back to you, and this is the part of the show where we want to get to know our panelists just a little bit better on a personal level. So, Larry, you know I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? What were you drinking on New Year's Eve? Or what are you drinking to celebrate the debut of the Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio? Larry?
3: Bonnie, I'm very, very predictable. I have the traditional Folgers in my coffee cup, just black, hot, and that's the way I like it. And quite honestly, I'm never disappointed anywhere I go. I can go into an office. I can go in a customer's office. Coffee's coffee. I'm happy with that. I don't need fancy (laughs)
2: <laughs> thank you Mr. Stoley. I appreciate that very much well it's good to know some people just aren't that demanding and they know what they like that's a great combination I think you're probably one of the happiest people I know anywhere Larry Stoly. so <laughs> thank you thank you for that you made us all happy Heather Ashton what are you drinking today tomorrow
4: yesterday to celebrate being on the show tell me Sure. So mine's a little fancier, I guess, Larry. Um, I, I call it brain food in a mug. A, a friend turned me onto this back in September, and I've literally been doing it every day every day since. So I brew a mug of my favorite coffee, then I pour it in the blender with a tablespoon of coconut oil, a tablespoon of pasture source butter, a dash of stevia, glass of coconut milk. Whirl it up, and it turns into this frothy latte with all of the essential nutrients that help me concentrate through my morning. I don't even get hungry until, until mid, mid-morning.
2: Wow, 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 wow. Heather, just quickly, go through the ingredients one more time. I want to focus on them. I
4: heard you say a sure. couple of interesting things. What's in it? Um, A tablespoon of coconut oil, a mm-hmm. tablespoon of pasture-sourced butter, a mm-hmm. dash of stevia, and a splash mm-hmm. of coconut milk. Wow, it sounds very... Now, do you put ice in that? Do you chill it? In the summer, I do, yes. Yeah, so in the summer, I make it into a frozen... But in the winter, since I live in the Northeast, where it seems to be cold nine months out of the year, um, mm-hmm. it's usually hot. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Very interesting recipe. I think that's a first. And you call it what? What in a cup? I call brain it, food I call it brain food in a mug. But my, I, I think on the Internet, and I have seen it on Dr. Oz, at least with the butter, they call it bullet coffee.
2: Yeah, that's where I've heard it before. Yes, 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 bullet coffee. When you add coconut oil to almost anything, it becomes very powerful and very good for you. Thank you, Heather. Appreciate that. Otto Schell, what are you drinking today?
5: Uh, actually, I'm getting 54, and since 50 years, I'm drinking coffee. What else?
2: Okay. What what kind of coffee? What's your favorite? Do you like, Larry, the same kind all the time, or do you experiment?
5: Uh, there are specific brands which I don't like because they are too much burnt so it's not really the coffee taste Uh, but I start my coffee with more sugar in the morning and get less and less sugar over the day
2: (laughs) coffee with a punch so would we say Larry uh, Larry Otto enjoys his cup of sugar with coffee in the morning and then his cup of coffee with sugar in the afternoon and the evening how does that sound
5: So I get black over the day, which means I get much and much concentrated. So I need a little bit sweet in the morning to get up, but then I go overnight concentrated, and that is my way to survive over the days.
2: Uh, well, we definitely want you to survive. Thank you very much. So we are talking today with Larry Stoley at SAP, Heather Ashton at IDC Manufacturing Insights at AutoShell at GM. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, very, very pleased to be debuting our newest series, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. And today we're going to be talking about shared and driverless transportation, an exciting topic indeed. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to take about a 60-second break, and when we come back, Wow, we're going to drive, ha, right into the round table and find out what's really going on with manufacturers and automobiles and autonomous, whatever it is, self-driving this and that, and find out what, what Larry Stoley, who says never stopped being a car guy, according to his official bio, has to say about all of this, followed by comments from Heather Ashton and Shell. We'll be right back. Justin out.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The future of cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers.
2: Welcome back. The future of cars is right now. Need a ride? What will that driverless car look like if it ever lands in your garage? We're speaking today with Larry Stoly at SAP Industries, Heather Ashton at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and Otto Shell at General Motors. We're going to kick off our roundtable with Larry Stoly, the sponsor of this series. Still very excited about this, Larry. I'm looking at Larry's notes, and he has something very provocative to say. He starts out telling me, Bonnie, Apple and Google will... will not manufacture automobiles. The automotive industry is a notorious destroyer of capital, something the tech giants will not accept. I'm just going to stop right there. Larry, why don't you decrypt this for me so we know what we're talking about.
3: Well, Bonnie, fundamentally, what's happening in the industry today, companies like Apple and Google are driving the technology. They're driving the process. They're really forcing the the floodgates of technology to be opened. And along with those floodgates of technology, they're opening our eyes to what can be. I will tell you that the tech giants, Apple, Google, and other technological uh, giants as well, they're they're not in this game to um, destroy capital. What they do is create capital. They invest a little and make a lot. Uh, A great example is is Uber, for example. It doesn't own any assets except for its app, right? But it has Mm -hmm. a tremendous market capitalization. Apple and Google aren't going to spend their time putting the nuts and bolts together, the sheet metal together, whatever it is, and creating a pod that drives itself. They're not going to do that. What they will do is force the industry, all the traditional players, to accept change, and they'll force those players to adopt those changes and create the networked, Driverless, connected, autonomous vehicle of the future, and for that, Apple and Google are to be commended. There, there's always going to be a fight about technology: whose technology's in the car, whose head units in the car, what software is, is the part of the uh, driver experience, and so on. Apple and Google won't build cars. They can't. They will not accept the, the destruction of capital, but they will change the business forever, and have already done that over the last three or four years.
2: Thank you, Larry. Heather Ashton, love to get your comments on
4: this. Sure. Um, I definitely agree with that, Larry, in terms of the fact that um, they, we won't be seeing them manufacturing the car directly. And I think we're seeing some of that already with, with even um, GM and Ford announcing alliances with some of these tech companies um, because they, they kind of see the future and they understand that they have to be get out ahead of it as you're talking about this disruption on the technology front and, and really understand how to incorporate it into the physical car. Um, so I agree with that. I, I do think, though, that uh, some of these newer disruptive um, services, like an Uber, they're looking at autonomous cars themselves, and potentially, um, again, they're probably going to partner. They're not going to become an automaker autom- or an automatic manufacturer, um, but they. I think there will be these alliances that will will drive kind of this next phase forward. Auto, Auto, Shell, GM. What are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, my thoughts are very simple. Go back to my quote about the snakes. Yeah, the um, I think what you see on the market, and this does not only go in the automotive business. This goes in banking. This goes in healthcare. Is that uh, the driver is getting uh, collaboration between the partners? There is not more that you can say that one industry is going alone because the technology changes are too fast. And how does it go along with cultural changes? What is in for me for the person as such for the customer so you have to collaborate and you have to take simple decisions can i invest in kind of technology business changes or do i need to partner out and i think this is the biggest change at the moment we see uh, that's why uh, mobility for me is not any more question it's an asset the use of data is not any more question it's an asset and those partners who get along with these assets, which build up their skill sets around this, and skill set can be internal and outside, these are the front runners. And, again, it's all about that uh, industries understand they cannot do it anymore. They have to go into collaboration. And the best example is the simplest one is a gas station, which is not more gas station anymore. It's a shopping floor. It's a lottery floor, whatever. Maybe in the future, a gas station is even not more gas station because gas is done with drones. So the entire business is changing, and I think what's now going on, who is the right partner for my business?
2: You just said something that really got me uh, intrigued, Otto. You talked about gas stations will be peopled or manned by drones i'm wondering if when they see an expensive car come in for repair if they're going to only put in what you need and not overcharge you because they see the price tag on the car do you think we'll get fairer treatment at gas stations if drones are running them auto
5: <laughs> what i'm thinking is for example a gas station has one big advantage it's it's in a distribution network so and if you want to go to connected cars to smart cities Cities cannot do this by themselves. They would have to invest too much and good do, do partnership with the industries, say, okay, can we use existing distribution hubs to, to get smarter? I think this will be determining the future. And with the drones the example came up in the workshop I did with students in, in Innsbruck. And I said, Why not delivering gas to your home with a drone? Yeah, of course they are everybody will take the snake approach, look back about risks, but why not? Mm-hmm.
2: There you go. Larry Stolle, while I'm coughing off air here, I want you to chime in on this. What do you think about drones coming to gas stations?
3: That would certainly be interesting, wouldn't it? I'm not sure I would uh, feel real comfortable about that initially, but I think in in the long term, as those things or those concepts get perfected, uh, it'll work. I mean, we see Amazon delivering with drones now, so... You know, it, it's, it's certainly there. I think, you know, companies have three choices right now. This is going to be a networked world, and that network is going to drive value. So major companies have three choices. They can either build the networks themselves, the infrastructure and the process themselves, or they can acquire it, or they can partner. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty complex decision to make. On the customer side, I have two choices. I accept or I deny And I think at the end of the day, I'm going to have no choice but to accept. So I may delay, uh, deny for a while, but at the end of the day, customers are going to be swept along with uh, this tremendous innovation, and they're going to soon realize all the benefits that we talk about that may not be so easy to understand today. They will come.
2: Thank you, Larry. Heather, I want to go in a new direction here. I want to pick up as many of the interesting talking points as I can from all three of our guests today. And, Heather, there's something very provocative, I love that word, in what you sent me. You say, by 2030, now let's see, we're in 2016, so that's just a little over a dozen years away, the number of distinct car models on roads in the U.S. will decrease dramatically. Here's the kicker, everyone. Listen, from the current 230-plus models in a given year driven by utilitarian-focused transportation services trend. You want to uh, decompress this for me, Heather? What are we talking about
4: here? Sounds very interesting. Certainly. Yes. When you think about the number, you know, the several hundred million cars that are on U.S. roads, um, and then you take a look at, you know, down the level, how many different models that the industry actually releases every year or has active in a given year, over 200. And if you're looking towards this you know, model where we're really taking a transformation of thinking about owning a car myself and using it to take me from point A to point B to engaging in a transportation service, whether that's a shared car, whether it's, you know, some sort of transportation network, these, you know, driverless um, kind of more moving transportation into a service versus like owning the car, then that's going to, you know, naturally kind of reduce the number of choices, so to speak, because, you know, individuals aren't going to be thinking about, you know, um, the personalization aspect, I guess, right, of, you know, I, I want my car to represent who I am right now on the road, and thinking more instead of, of again, the transportation, how are we going to get from point A to point B? So I, I do th- think that in the next 15 years, there will be a dramatic change in that kind of mindset. Hmm, interesting. What will they look like? Any clue on that? Yeah, That What will be left? I... I Yeah, I wonder. You see the Google car that doesn't have the, um, you know, the steering wheel and there's talks about some of these cars actually having a table in the center with the, you know, the passengers actually facing each other instead of facing out or facing forward. Um, I find that interest. I find that intriguing because I, but I do think that will take more time even than say the 15 years for us to kind of lose that mindset that we need to be in a car facing forward, you know, looking out on the road at all all times. So, um, but I, I see that as you know, happening in the future, and I also see, again, I'm not sure that you know, the, the super tiniest car is going to be the, the future, those, those Google kind of alphabet cars, but, um, but I think that there will be something that, again, it looks more utilitarian and less like what we see in the U.S., perhaps more what we see in Europe, where I think there's a lot, um, there's greater homogeneity in Europe, I believe, in terms of the, you know, the types and the sizes of cars, in, for the most part, in, in the cities and the urban areas. So um, perhaps we'll see that.
2: Thank you Heather very interesting when you're talking about a table and passengers facing each other brings to mind what you see on commuter trains I'm on Long Island the Long Island Railroad and in some cars I don't know whether it's in the bar car or the dining car maybe that's Amtrak in the good old days or when you go to the to the bar car now you have tables you certainly see it in movies that are trying to show the romance and drama of train travel around the world where you sit at a table and face each other you're not looking out the window you don't need to drive the engineer is driving Interesting point. It also brings to mind the the, uh, plight of parents traveling long distances in cars where the kids are trying to do something to amuse themselves in the back seat, and now you can have them around a table using their iPads and their iPhones and doing all their gaming on a table and not even paying attention to how long it's been. I think it'll be a good thing, don't you, Heather?
4: I definitely agree with you when I think about that, (laughs) yes. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, parents, parents' best friend will be the table in the car. Otto Shell. <laughs> thoughts about reducing, dramatically reducing, the number of car models on U.S. roads or globally. What do you see, Otto? Agree or disagree?
5: Uh, kind of in between, yeah. The, the, um, when, when you still think about digitalization, what is one of the assets in production in general is that you want to create the product for the customer. So you have to find somehow a way that you still have something which is a high high quality, and I think quality is one of the driver for, for getting everything connected. But on the on the other side, people still want to differentiate. So you need to find ways, um, like companies like, like Harley, Davidson are doing, that you can still change the configuration shot before really you get the offer out. It will be tricky because at the end of the day, as I said, it's, it's a quality. But not everybody wants to have a black car driving autonomous. Yeah? People want to have the yellow dots on it to say, okay, I'm in the car. So it's in between. So <laughs> what is really the challenge is to, to get what we are talking about um, in the digitalized world, to get productions agile, yeah? to get supporting models around this agile. And this is, I think, the challenge we have right now, uh, I don't believe that customers in future independent uh, if they, they buy or if they share want to wait six months to get the car in their hand uh, they want to have it now and I'm pretty sure even if we are thinking ahead in 2050 or somewhere and let's assume everything is connected you still want to choose that you want to have uh, as I said a car which we can put tables around you want to maybe even if it's connected and driverless, driving a sports car. So you need to have, from a customer's perspective, always flexibility in mind.
2: I like that, and I like that you mentioned sports cars. I hope those never go away because that's all I drive. That's just like Larry sticks with his coffee. That's all I drive. Larry Stoley, love to get your comments on what Heather started talking about, about the number of models of cars on roads and also Otto's comment. Go ahead, Larry. Well, I,
3: I think that's very, very interesting, and I think it's it's – A directionally correct statement, absolutely directionally correct. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to look at who's the customer. And if the customer is the provider of transportation services, whether that be an automobile manufacturer or that be another company such as Uber or Lyft or whatever, their customer, as a customer, they're going to require and ask for entirely different things than myself or you, Bonnie, as a differentiated driver will Mm -hmm. ask for. So that's going to change. I think that's going to pare down the number of models and and model choices that are available. But one thing I think we have to keep in mind is the future is going to be not only networked, it will be tailored to purpose. In other words, if we look at the future, uh, and this is probably beyond 2030, uh, maybe it's, as Otto said, 2050, I don't know, uh, we will have multiple kinds of vehicles still. They'll be tailored to purpose. They'll be the pod, that will take me to the airport. There will be the pod that will take me to work. There will be the family pod, bigger, the table in the middle. And there will be the pickup pod, if you will, the transportation pod where I can move materials or whatever I need to buy for my house or or, or home or whatever. So we're going to see models decrease. I believe that's a fact. I believe that we will see differentiated transportation because it will be tailored to purpose. And as Otto said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm really an old car guy, I like to drive, so here, here's the dilemma, you know, everything is vanilla and tailored to purpose and driverless, or maybe there's still people with buying power like myself that want something unique to me, so the future's going to be interesting to say the least
4: certainly is. Is. This is. Heather, um, you, yep. you bring up a really good point there. Um, when you say, and it's interesting, because we talk about the future, and we talk about replacing cars and moving to this transportation services, um, you'll be Fascinated to realize that I think it was um, the MTV. So the, the owners of MTV did a a big study, um, and it revealed that three and four millennials. So these are those that are born, I believe that the definition is before two thousand, between like maybe eighty five and two thousand. Um, three and four of them agree they would rather give up social media for a day than their car and 72% agree they would rather give up texting for a week than their car. So we actually do have a whole other segment beyond sort of the baby boomers and the, um, the Gen Xers is these millennials who are just coming in to economic sort of um, stability and being able to have money to spend. They actually like their cars too. So I think, it's, I think there will be that, you know, it will take a while for that to kind of play through. Um, they're not ready to yeah, go to just pause either. Heather,
2: great point. Larry, any comments on that? I have one, but Larry, you go first.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I
3: love that comment. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. And, and the one proud thing I have is all of my kids, all of my grandkids um, are car people. They like to drive. Mm-hmm. That was a uh, uh, way stop in their life that they had to go through and they'll keep for a while. So maybe that's because, because of me. I don't know. I, I think it's Wonderful.
2: I think it's wonderful too. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say that Heather, I think we should add in the boomers. I don't know who else on the call is in my generation, but I think we should add boomers who, we still love our cars. We, as most of us, are at a point where we can pick and choose what we want, whether it's a vintage model or the latest and greatest. And there's a certain pride of ownership and there's a certain excitement, even if we don't have to go so far with it, just to be able to get out of the garage and drive our car. It's a pleasure thing. Larry, you agree with that? Absolutely. Pure pleasure. Larry and I've talked about this before. Heather, any thoughts can we add can we add the upper generation to what you said about millennials because I love what yeah. you said.
4: Definitely, and I think I think what will happen is, and, and I really love what Larry says in terms of that purpose-built or um, differentiated transportation, so it will happen. So if you want your sports car, you might not need to own it or have it in your garage 80% of the time, but you could call it up, call up the service, and you could actually pick what kind you want to drive this weekend, right, to go for a nice, a nice drive out in the country or, you know, to go about about town. So I do think that there will be room for that to support or enhance kind of the um, the car lovers right, in the coming sort of decade um, as we kind of move toward these these new transportation services.
2: Absolutely. Otto Schell, any thoughts about driving for pleasure? I know you have other things on your mind we're going to talk about in a second, but pleasure driving, what's your perspective?
5: Yeah, I, I, I drove so much. Yeah? So, yes, I like cars, but I like to sit in the back. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, but... <laughs>
2: Oh, we got a nice passenger mindset yeah, but, here. I appreciate but, that. Yes, right.
5: but but I think the entire discussion shows really the, the challenge we have in front of us, and this meets all try really to meet all these different customers' behaviors. And when I'm still think about, let's project us in 2050, and uh, we have still the the uh, sport car drivers. Yeah. This is then maybe a new business at this time to free up uh, streets for them. Yeah, so, And this is all about, I think it's fascinating in this area to talk about all the possibilities we have. And the really big change to a couple of years ago, they are all not only thoughts; they are all getting in realization right now. And that's the funny part.
2: Interesting. We haven't really talked about the roads, the highways, the traffic jams, (laughs) Bridgegate, if any of you know who Chris Christie is. Uh, We haven't talked about what we as drivers put up with on the roads, and I wonder, Larry, that might be an interesting topic for a future episode of The Future of Cars. Anybody have a comment on that?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll make one. You know, I I used to live in California, and we saw a lot of the high occupancy vehicle lanes, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see the rest of the lanes become the autonomous vehicle lanes, the pedestrian lanes, if you will, and let the yeah. HOV lanes be the, be, become the lanes that uh, us drivers drive in. Wouldn't that be nice?
2: That would be interesting. We have HOV here on the Long Island Expressway, yeah. which is more like the Long Island parking lot, if you've ever been here. You know that <laughs> at certain times. It's the biggest parking lot in the world called the LIE. Yes, yes, yes. Any comments from Heather or Otto before I move on? About uh,
4: road conditions or traffic jams, anything?
2: That Heather, one, where do you live?
4: Yeah, Heather? I live in the greater Boston area, so I can't imagine saving two hours a day off of my commute. That would think about the productivity, <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> or the relaxation.
4: Yeah. Yes. Heather, I lived in Cambridge,
2: Massachusetts for several years in the mid-70s. I know I'm dating myself here, but I already said I'm a boomer, so it's too late to pull back. And I can't remember ever driving in worse conditions with all of those roundabouts in Cambridge. You literally stood, sat at a a stop sign, and there were seven lanes of traffic all coming into one circle, which they insisted on calling a square, and you prayed (laughs) to God you'd have an opening in the next hour when you could enter that square
4: and go on about where you wanted to end up. Am I wrong Heather? Oh you're so right it's like that video game Frogger I feel like whenever you're in the city you're trying to dart between you know to get out to the next
2: corner and this, if it wasn't worse, worse than that Massachusetts tax the value of your vehicle every year yeah. So I but that that's a whole other topic there Otto shell I want to talk about something from your notes here I'm looking and you say connected cars are the easy part smart cities and environments are the difficult part and you talk about we need to start thinking to own and use existing distribution channels but Otto, I want to segue into what you're talking about here you say consider unused assets talk to me what is this all about.
5: Yeah, it goes back to your recent discussion, yeah? So uh, when you read just in U.S. or in other cities, the reports what are the most worst driving cities and that communities cannot more invest to get the streets in a normal shape, you can imagine what is the challenge to get this for a connected car where you you need to have sensors and all those kind of things. So that's what I'm talking about, uh, that, that there are huge investments to be done to make this all available, Yeah. On the other side, um, when you put more people on the street because cars are getting driverless, and I'm not thinking mm-hmm. about only the maniliates. I take also about people which are getting older, which need to go to the to, to the hospitals and all this kind of things. So there are huge business challenges which needs to be managed, and who should pay this? And that's why I said in the beginning there need to be collaboration. Yeah, and we're just talking about having traffic jams uh yeah they are also already going on ideas not in the in the automotive i'm pretty sure somewhere but mostly in the logistics. how can you go into things like uh, stopping traffic jams yeah and you can imagine maybe in in some years there are, are magnetics yeah and you are not more driving only on the street but in a certain point you get under magnetics and your car is rooted as long as a magnetic environment it can be a gas station which is done a logistic hub because people know that uh, you have a date uh, which is in one hour and others have an earlier date so they must go through because they drive uh, big trucks or something and you can park somewhere and you are rooted in, in a magnetic environment. So there are thousands of opportunities. But the most important thing is that um, when you see research that, communities are not framed and not having enough money to go into this and as i said we can dream a lot, a lot about connected and driverless as long as we don't get this done uh, it's not possible unused asset is everything what stands around yeah it can be a bridge can be the 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 borders on a highway which are just metal at the moment in future there can be sensors in future there can uh, uh, also be uh, helping us from an electronical point of view, maybe to recharge, whatever. Yeah? So think about the impossible.
2: Think about the impossible indeed. Larry Stoley, what do you think about the impossible, referencing what Auto Shell just brought up?
5: Well, you know, it,
3: th- that is the challenge, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the car is the easy part, making that small thing and you know, in front of you do what it needs to do or, or take advantage of data and, and do the things that are necessary is the easy part. There was, there was a study done in Ann Arbor, Michigan uh, a short while ago, almost 300,000 people, 130 square miles, 200-plus thousand personally owned vehicles. Um, and if you look at the statistics, eight miles a day was the average trip, 16 minutes, one-and-a-half people in them. Vehicles were used just 4% of the time, as I recall. The point that, that Otto is making, the infrastructure changes that are necessary certainly can be done. They're difficult. They're, they're complex. But they can be done fairly cost-effectively if we can move to this new world. I mean, I said there were 200,000 vehicles in Ann Arbor. 18,000 vehicles would be able to do the same thing if they were um, used as as um, mobility um, They'd reduce out-of-pocket costs by over three-quarters. They would eliminate parking and and real estate costs and land use and so on. You know, the opportunities are are just significant, but making the change, getting the mindset to make the change and the investment necessary, uh, that's the hurdle. Once we get that mindset and that investment um, desire in place, then the changes will come pretty easy in terms of the infrastructure.
2: Interesting. Heather Ashton, any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I think that, yeah, the infrastructure is definitely a big point. And I think, again, it involves as we talk about this transformation or shift in mindset, like you said, Larry. Um, so, for example, perhaps, you know, I instead of me thinking about paying that excise tax, which, as you mentioned, Bonnie, is quite significant mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, I'm oh, actually yeah. paying toward a transportation tax, right? So I'm paying for part of these services to be able to help kind of outfit the city um, as a states to be able to handle um, this technology and, and in a way that it you know it's better for everybody and ultimately.
2: Thank you. Guess what? I just googled future of cars, Larry, and I came up with a very interesting article from July twenty seventh last year, twenty fifteen, on HBR, Harvard Business Review, and it's called "How to Think About the Future of Cars." Larry, can I read just a drop from this and and pose this as a question to the panel? Is that Absolutely. all right with you? Absolutely. Okay. They show a guy on this little thing. He, he's holding a handlebar and he's sitting on this little box. Looks like a suitcase with uh looks like three wheels and probably a motor. And he's going fast because the background is whizzing by. The article starts, The Average American in Prime Working Age drives more than 15,000 miles a year. For these commuters, the thought of not owning a car is ludicrous. With hours each day, this is for you, Heather, with hours each day spent in transit, it's no surprise they often obsess over what type of car to own and what routes to work to take, or they meant to say to take to work. But despite the prominence of today's driving culture, disruption has planted its roots firmly in the transportation industry. Innovations in ride-sharing, car-sharing, long-distance transportation, are bringing us closer than ever to a world in which car ownership is a choice, not a requirement. And then I'll go right down to the where I really want to go. For potential investors, entrepreneurs, and anyone with an interest in getting where they need to go, the billion-dollar question is, how will this market look after the dust has settled? Larry, what do you think? Provocative?
3: yeah and I think honestly that's where my head is right now. I mean, as we go forward, the whole notion of ownership I said it earlier, who own who's the customer right? That's all going to change. There will be transportation providers. Uh, the big car companies will not only manufacture but they may also be the big transportation providers. It could certainly you know be companies like Uber and Lyft. But I think since they don't produce vehicles, they're at a bit of a disadvantage. I think the big car companies will ultimately become the transportation providers of the, you know, of the future.
2: Interesting. Heather,
4: thoughts? Yeah. Did you like what yeah, I wrote, yeah. read in the article? I think we touched a lot of points there. I do, and I, and I think I agree with Larry. I was going to say that I believe that um, maybe the automotive OEMs are going to move from only manufacturing to become fleet managers. They're going to essentially manage these various fleets um, to provide the transportation services. Um, so I think it is going to be an interesting, an interesting future. Very, and, and I don't want
2: to jump the gun because we are just about two minutes away from the part of the show called Crystal Ball Predictions Time. So I want to keep a real predictions focus for that, but I still want to continue this. Otto Shell, any thoughts about what I read in the article in terms of waiting for the dust to settle?
5: Uh, I don't like the the word waiting <laughs> so you, I think we have to work this through there are so much challenges I like the tone of this conversation it's going forward Yeah, so we didn't talk about any what can hinder us I think we have to consider all this, this kind of things and we have few challenges in the world no? so the, the, it's about also going into sustainability. How can we work much more sustainability? Yeah? And, and, and Larry mentioned with this example in Ann Arbor, yeah, we could be much more efficient, but then you still have the Larry's of the world which want to own cars. No? So we have to talk this through. It's not time for wait. I think we, we need to get all possibilities on the table. And do you know what? We don't know really what is the prediction of the future for a customer which is born today. We can only assess... But we need to give those people which are in the young generations, which are in the kindergartens, we give them options to to go into their lives. And this option is very clearly digitalized.
2: Mm, Interesting point of view there. Larry Stoley, I'm going to well, we didn't plan this, but I'd like to have you tell us a little bit about what's coming up on the next 9 episodes, which will be a couple of weeks apart. Next 9 episodes of The Future of Cars. What kinds of topics can we entice people to be interested in? I know they will be so that they'll become loyal listeners of this new series. Larry, what's on your mind?
3: Well, I'll tell you very clearly what's on my mind. First off, I don't want to beat this uh, autonomous vehicle, driverless vehicle thing to death. We'll probably do another segment on this because it it is here. It's in your face today. It's something we're going to have to deal with. So I think we'll spend a little more time on this. But as we go forward with future episodes, we're going to focus on smart manufacturing. We're going to sm- focus on smart logistics. And then we're going to evolve into smart cities and smart infrastructures and so on. And how we take advantage of the Internet of Things. How smart manufacturing, sensor technology, all combine within networks to optimize not only manufacturing, but how networks and sensors will optimize product design. And that's all going to feed right back around through the autonomous vehicle and, and the uh, transportation services of the future. It's going to sub- drop into uh, sensor driven supply networks. How we adjust, how we adopt, how we avoid risk or mitigate uh, situations. We're going to talk about all those smart things that sensors enable in, a, in and around not only the design, the manufacturing, and the transportation uh, services provided by cars.
2: Thank you very much. I'm excited. I think I'll stay tuned. Oh, I think I'll produce and host and moderate with you, Larry Stoley. By the <laughs> way, Larry, are, you, are you, yeah, I'm, I'm committed, dear. Larry, are you planning to be on every episode? I think that would be fun and interesting.
3: Well, I, I'm not really sure, Bonnie, because there are some very, very smart people that I have under my thumb. Uh, and, and I use that term with great deal of respect. <laughs> I know that you do. Uh, probably should drive some of those shows. So I'm going to look at others who might have the opportunity to contribute uh, very much uh, insightful information in those shows. So we'll we'll take that one and we'll see where it goes.
2: Okay, we certainly will. And guess what? I have saved about forty-five seconds for each of you for the official crystal ball prediction segment. So, Larry Stoley, just give me, oh, let's say three sentences each. Let's keep it really tight because we're almost out of time. Larry Stoley. I love the year 2020. Brief. Yeah, I love 2020. You know that, but maybe you don't. So how far in the future, and give me three sentences, what What would you would you want us to focus on for the future of the future of cars? Well,
3: I'll look a little beyond 2020, and, and I will, will predict that the automotive manufacturers that we know today will look different in the future. They will provide transportation as a service. Uh, the products they build will support that transportation as a service. Uh, they will continue to exist, to grow, and to prosper, but they'll look entirely different in the future.
2: Thank you. That's exciting and provocative and thought-provoking, and we certainly have to keep tuning into the series to find out more. Thank you, Larry Stoley. Heather Ashton at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Three sentences. How far in the future and what do you see coming? Down the pike. I'll, <laughs>
4: sure. I'll go uh, I'll go 10 years out, and I'm going to say, given that we, um, it's Super Bowl Sunday this weekend, I'm going to say that in 10 years, the, win, the MVP of the Super Bowl will not be winning a car. They'll be winning a service. They'll be winning May, um, some sort of you know, service that takes them you know, for an entire year, basically, a service, um, to pick the car that they want or the you know, transportation mode that they want to take them from you know, point A to point B. But that, that's going to go away. The, the winning of the car is going away for the MVP of the Super Bowl 10 years from now.
2: Interesting. Then they need to find something very gorgeous and dramatic to put on the screen so people will say, wow, can you believe what he just won? I don't know what he, she, or it's going to look like, Heather. We'll have to have a side conversation about that. Uh, thank you. Otto Shell predictions real fast. What have you got, Otto? 45 seconds.
5: Yeah, whatever I see out of the different industry, whoever is able to collaborate and does not see him only as self will survive. I, I guess whoever believes that he has the, the source of the future and can do it alone, he will not have any chance.
2: Ooh, okay I like that Otto shell thank you I have to say Larry Stoley very excited about this new series uh, I don't know if you know Larry but we debuted the future of the future last week and next week we're debuting the extended supply chain of the future so we certainly have a future looking view a future futuristic view here on game changers radio so I want to say thank you so much to Larry and Heather and Otto for being our guests on the first episode and let's see what we've got here I have a prediction I already predicted what shows are coming up. Let's see. We have 12 series of Game Changers radios currently in active live production and uh, they include social selling with Game Changers, Future of the Future, Future of Cars, Extended Supply Chain of the Future, Digital Industries Changing the Game, Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Season 5 debuts one hour from right now. I'll be back. Coffee Break with Game Changers just goes on and on and on. We have the future of business with Game Changers, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, the visionary game changers and the internet of things with game changers you just might say we're interchanging the game here so Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton Otto Shell, thank you for being my special guest we had so many people tweeting and I want to say a shout out to Bill Newman, William Newman, who's at SAP now, who has been tweeting his tootsies off for the past hour. Thank you and so many others. And Justin and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's our call to action. It is so appropriate for this show. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you in one hour. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.